Welcome to the Homeschool High School Podcast, brought to you by SevenSistersHomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I'm Vicki, and I am here with my oldest son today, and this is Micah Tillman. Hey, Micah. Howdy. It's nice to finally be on the podcast. I know. We've, we've chatted about this on and off for like a while now, and it just hasn't happened. So Yeah. Yeah, so Micah is, of course, just like I said, my oldest, and he has a PhD in philosophy. So guess what we're going to talk about today? Mm-hmm. So, so okay, Micah, let's be realistic about what homeschooling high school was like for you, because you homeschooled from second grade all the way through graduation. So it was actually, it was third grade. Was it really? Oh yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. I have yeah, yeah, I have an older person's brain. And but I mean, we also homeschooled for half of uh, kindergarten, I think. So that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. So makes up the difference. This this is true. Okay, <laughs> so tell the goods and the bads about homeschooling, especially your experiences with high school. Uh, the good is that I had to do a lot of learning of the higher level math on my own. Um, (laughs) and that prepared me for college. And the bad was that I had to learn a lot of higher level math on my own, uh, which means that I didn't quite understand calculus as well as I might have if I had said somebody other than the textbook to help me out with that. But it was, I found that when I got to college, because I had had to learn how to teach myself, I wasn't in as bad a shape as some of my friends were who seemed to just be overwhelmed by the amount of self teaching and self directed learning that you have to do at the college level. (laughs) That was a, a redemptive thing. Yeah. I can remember when you were, at Messiah College, and you were one of the student ambassadors. And I brought a, a carload of teenagers from the local homeschool group up to do a, an open house that day. Yeah. And you were addressing a large group of people. And, uh, and, I brought the teens in after the talk had started. So I don't know whether you you saw me, but you were explaining to the group that that you were homeschooled and basically what your mom had taught you calculus with was going, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm," (laughs) which is exactly right. We did counseling skills with calculus. She would say, I don't understand this. And I go, hmm. (laughs) Tell me more about that. (laughs) Yeah. How did that make you feel? (laughs) Well, fortunately, we ended up finding a really good textbook. So, um, yeah. you know, and not most, <clears throat> I don't think most people are going to end up taking calculus in high school. So another thing that I really enjoyed about the way that we did homeschooling was just the amount of, in high school, the amount of time that we got to spend doing co-ops and youth groups. And my, uh, my friends at baseball would ask me what being homeschooled was like. And I was legitimately able to say it means rarely ever being at home. So we <laughs> we didn't have any problems with, with socialization and that kind of stuff. So I had a lot of really good friends in spite of technically doing all my work at home. So um, it was good for self-directed learning, uh, learning those skills. And it was also, I don't know, it was a, it was a great way to be a teenager, I think. Yeah, I think we are so very blessed in our area because they're such a big homeschool community. So we had the opportunity to 
be with other teens in uh, in co-op and in uh, like groups. We had a big old homeschool youth group and a uh, band. He played in flute and, yeah. and the homeschool band. It yeah. was cool. Yeah. So, all right. So tell about what do you remember about getting started in philosophy in high school? Taking the world history and philosophy course at co-op with with you, in fact. Yeah. So that was that was the first time I encountered Kant and, gosh, probably even the older Greek philosophers. And I just I just I loved it. I thought it was the best thing ever. Um, so I I felt lucky that for some bizarre reason you were interested in philosophy and therefore were making us learn about it uh, in the context of broader historical questions. Yeah, we were we were uniquely blessed that and with your group and having kids that were asking the the deep meaning of life questions. And I, I think you were the ringleader of that bunch, you know, like teens need to ask big, deep questions that give everyone headaches. And, right. and uh, y'all were so good at it that we just had to study philosophy. So we went in for the the, all the existential questions there. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. What happened after high school that got you into philosophy career-wise? Uh, I majored in computer science because I wanted to make video games and figured learning how to program would be the way to do that. But um, I wanted to be able to continue thinking about deep things and writing and that kind of stuff. So I took as many philosophy courses as I could to fill my gen ed credits. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't required. I mean, there was uh, one philosophy course required at Messiah College for everybody. You either picked problems in philosophy or history of philosophy. Oh, um, okay. And so at freshman, maybe sophomore year, uh, I, I chose problems in philosophy. So I took that course and I really enjoyed it. Um, it was taught by an instructor who uh, I think must have been an adjunct because I don't remember seeing him around again after Mm -hmm. that. But then I was able to take a couple of other uh, philosophy courses with Dr. Robin Collins, who is a really big name in the Christian philosophy world, Mm -hmm. um, uh, as just to fill other requirements that weren't part of the major, but that other that you had to take as, you know, to fill a certain requirement in, I don't know, international knowledge or historical (laughs) stuff or whatever. And so I was able to, to take philosophy courses that fulfilled those requirements. Uh, but I, what, I was minoring in music, and it wasn't until I got to later junior year, maybe senior year, and had yet to hear anything about how uh, computer science could be used to create video games, and mm-hmm. so had concluded that the only way to use the computer science degree was in doing work that uh, I just didn't fit with my personality. Um, at least judging myself relative to my fellow uh, computer science majors, I just I was the weird one. I, I was spending my weekends playing music instead of building computers, and my fellow computer science majors would talk about things that they were really interested in that I found utterly boring. Um, and so I decided that after school, I was going to need to find something else to do. Um, and I remember you calling me up sometime during senior year and saying, Hey, Micah, so what are you doing for grad school? And I said, there's no way I am continuing on with this fruitless line of, (laughs) of study of computer science. And you said, no, no, no. What about philosophy? And I said, Oh, dang, that would be really, really interesting. You can do philosophy in grad school. 
And it turned out that you could. So uh, I worked for an, I did an internship in computer science over the summer waiting for grad school, but I started to applying and found out that indeed you could do that kind of switch where you major in one thing as an undergraduate and then do something almost completely different in grad school. And I was, because of what you were talking about with the doing the ambassador work for incoming potential students and having to talk to people, Mm -hmm. I had already realized that I really enjoyed public speaking and that teaching uh, is primarily public speaking with a lot of grading uh, thrown in. And so (laughs) um, I had a pretty good idea that as a philosopher, you did two things. You you would teach and you would write. And I really loved writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed uh, talking to people in large groups. And so I decided mm-hmm. to give it a try for grad school and it worked out. So then you you went to Westchester University and got your master's there and then right. on to Catholic University. That's right. Yeah. So I did the uh, went from Messiah College, uh, which is a an Anabaptist kind of private school to Westchester University of PA, which is a public school. They had a great philosophy program that uh, taught you everything that you would want to know about modern philosophy. And it was mm-hmm. great. They, they were very interdisciplinary. Philosophy has all kinds of internal divisions within it with uh. rival factions. And you, you got to learn, <laughs> you got to learn everything. And they never even taught you that if you really enjoy learning about Heidegger, you weren't supposed to enjoy learning about Quine and vice versa. Yeah. You just turned we could we could enjoy whatever we wanted in all of it and so it was great wow. but that was the master's program mm-hmm. and i realized by taking going through the master's program there that i knew quite a lot about modern philosophy and a little bit about ancient philosophy but almost nothing about the almost 2000 years in between mm-hmm. um so the middle ages and all that kind of stuff i just I had no clue about and i knew that that um Catholic philosophers had done a lot of the work in that gap. They were a lot, a lot of the philosophers across those 2000 years were Catholic philosophers. And so I decided if I wanted to know more about the history of philosophy to get a full picture, and if I wanted to know more about the history of Christian thought specifically, which um, was important to me, that I should uh, try out a Catholic university. And so I got accepted by Catholic University down in DC, and uh, they're a fantastic program. Yeah, so you were the the token Baptist, Anabaptist, or whatever it yeah. is that that you were there, yeah. and they were very gracious about that. Absolutely, yeah. The, um, their Catholic University is a very Catholic university, which is appropriate <laughs> uh, because they're a papal institution. So they they take their Catholicism very seriously, but they are also very generous and kind. Um, so nobody got burned at the stake. Yeah. Um, and across the, I don't know, six or seven years that I was there, it was really good. So then you you felt like you had a more like thorough uh, experience with with the history of philosophy right. and all the different denominations of philosophy. Right. And I also, not only did I get a, a fuller temporal understanding of philosophy, not just the ancient Greeks, not just the medieval Europeans, not just the modern Europeans and modern Americans, but also of, of worldwide philosophy. So I had already studied a little bit of, of uh, some Eastern philosophy um, with Dr. Collins um, as part of a you know philosophy and religion course uh, at Messiah. But um, I came to a better understanding of the interactions between the medieval Catholic philosophers in Europe and the medieval Muslim philosophers in Africa and uh, yeah. the Middle East, and realized what a what a dialogue had been going on between 
the Christian philosophers and the Muslim philosophers um, and how in many ways they ended up working together to better understand because Islam is a, is an offshoot of Judaism. Um, So it belongs to the Abrahamic faith tradition. And so their conception of God is very close to our conception of God um, as Christians. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work that they did to try to incorporate Greek philosophy uh, into their theological work was able to, was, uh, became available to people like St. Thomas Aquinas yeah. Uh-huh. And so while the two cultures and political, you know, issues were at war with each other with the crusades and the invasions of Europe and the Iberian Peninsula and all that, the philosophers and theologians were kind of working behind the scenes and talking to each other. <laughs> um, yeah. and so they were able to like St. Thomas Aquinas I think is an absolute genius, but he would not have been able to accomplish everything that he did for Christian thinking and Christian theology if he hadn't been willing to learn from people from another culture and uh, even another religion. And I found that I was expanding my knowledge of philosophy, not only in time, but also across cultures and across places, which I have found very helpful. That that would make such an interesting book for uh yeah you know even the the novice reader when you get bored one of these days so tell about what a person does with philosophy what you're doing professionally but in real life yeah. like why why would a normal person yeah be interested in philosophy good yeah i i've i've taught philosophy now for over 10 years and it has never been my goal to produce uh, professional philosophers. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, we are all always already thinking about our world and our lives and ourselves and each other and how we ought to live and how we ought to live together. And mm-hmm. that is what philosophers do. In my def- philosophy is a word that comes from the ancient Greek and just means loving wisdom or pursuing wisdom. Philosoph- Which is smart. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So philosopher, philosophers set themselves, uh, distinguish themselves from the sophists um, who claim to already have wisdom. They were sophists. Mm. They were the wise ones. Um, uh-huh. And the philosophers, like Plato said, well, I don't claim to be wise, but I want wisdom. I'm pursuing wisdom and I am um, a lover of wisdom. And mm-hmm. the what Plato, well, Socrates before him would do would be to go into the marketplace of Athens and annoy people by asking them questions about what they thought <laughs> about how they should live, about virtues like justice and, and courage and uh, the, the nature of reality. And in the process of annoying people by making them think hard about questions that they hadn't thought about before, he was trying to figure out what the best ways to think about all that was. If you think incorrectly about yourself and about other people and about the world, then you're going to live incorrectly. Mm -hmm. And if you think well about the world, if you understand yourself and other people, then you're going to live well. And so when people ask me what philosophy is, I tell them it's the practice of thinking clearly about life so you can live it better, so that you can live it well. And everybody has to live, and therefore everybody 
needs to live well. And that's it's very different than somebody saying, I'm going to tell you how to live well, and I want you to do what I told you to do. Yeah, one of the things that, uh, I mean, again, starting with Socrates, he would always, one of the things that he did was he helped people to see that they were already thinking philosophically. They already had worldview assumptions. They already had assumptions about ethics and about religion and about politics, but they might not know why those were the correct assumptions or whether they were the correct assumptions and the correct worldview. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to help them think through why they believe what they believe and to see whether or not they were being consistent with themselves. And he found that usually people had inconsistent beliefs without even realizing it. And therefore, if they were willing to talk with him long enough, they would be they would end up hopefully in a better place at the end of it, thinking more clearly and therefore able to to live their lives more clearly. So do you suppose that teens, if they did some philosophic thinking, it might lead them to live better lives as teenagers? I definitely think so. I, if you're a teen who isn't already asking a lot of why questions and probably also getting pretty annoyed at the ways in which the world seems to be run in arbitrary or unjust ways. Um, if you don't have a little bit of teenage angst, you're probably, um, I don't know. Just not there yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, pro- yeah, yeah. And so I imagine that every teen is going to reach a certain point and in their lives where they have to start figuring out what they think about themselves and about the world. I think as a teen, you're, you're figuring out who you are in part by figuring out what you like, what kind of music and movies and art and literature and all that kind of stuff you're into, but also figuring out how to be friends. Mm -hmm. Um, When, when you're, when you're five years old in kindergarten, your friends are the kids who happen to be in kindergarten with you. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're a teen, you have to start navigating things like cliques and, Mm -hmm. um, interest groups and, you know, whether or not you're going to be in band or whether you're going to do something else like the chess club or something. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to figure out who you are, who other people are and what's the right way of being. Um, that's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I was concerned with as a teenager Um, And I find that it's much of the same stuff that my students are concerned with because I'm now teaching high schoolers. Yeah. So tell about your interesting job. So I uh, taught at the college level in philosophy for uh, about nine years. Um, But my current position is very exciting. I teach for Stanford Online High School. Stanford is the university everybody's heard of out in California Um, But what most people haven't heard of is that they Mm -hmm. actually have a high school and the high school is completely online. So my students are scattered all around the world. I have students in China and South Korea and Spain. Most of them are in the U.S., but they're all over. And I teach ninth grade and 10th grade Um, at Stanford Online High School. The core curriculum is a series of four philosophy classes because the the school was started by philosophers. So that Uh puts us philosophers in a relatively good position. Um, In ninth grade, which is one of the classes I teach, we we think about scientific method, scientific thinking um, from a philosophical perspective. But we're talking a lot about biology and about statistics 
where we're trying to, to think through what is the rational basis for the scientific uh, approach to thinking about the world, uh, as opposed to, say, an artistic way of thinking about the world. Um, we want students who our students tend to be um, very interested in technology. We want them to start thinking about the kind of computers and mathematical thinking that that they're doing and start asking philosophical questions about it, like why does it work this way? And then in 10th grade, we the course is on the history and philosophy of science. So after learning about how scientific reasoning works, we uh, discuss the history of how the scientific thinking has developed um, so that they can get a little bit of that flavor that I was talking about of how the different cultures have worked together um, how scientific reasoning has arisen in different um, different areas and at different times. Question, we can ask questions about whether or not scientific thinking makes progress and whether or not it's the only way of thinking about the world that is legitimate. So we'll talk about religion and things like that as well. And then in the 11th and 12th grades, they move on to broader topics like uh, politics and ethics, and they end they're in 12th grade with an, with an overview of, of some of the classic texts in philosophy. So it's a really exciting program that takes students from perhaps being only interested in what we call the STEM yeah, yeah. majors, right? Science, technology, engineering, math, or whatever it stands for. Show them that there is a lot of good. It's important to be thinking about what you're interested in, not just kind of blindly participating in it. Um, and since it's being taught by philosophers, those first two classes on science, we're able to um, engage the students who are less STEM-minded, who are more interested in, in art and literature and the humanities, because philosophy straddles both the humanities and the sciences. We're able to work in both contexts and show everybody that there's some really interesting stuff going on in biology and statistics and in the history of science, and that it's... Um, we are able to help them prepare to start thinking about their whole lives in uh, more philosophical ways. Which I, I, I'm picturing um, traditional homeschool moms, like biting their fingernails in, in terror, like uh, you're doing philosophy of science instead of biology for ninth grade. And, you know, like yeah. the, and, but what you're finding is, is that the students, when they graduate, have what they need for graduation, but are prepared for not only college, but life better? Um, I definitely would hope so. And the, one of the interesting things about, uh, about the ninth grade course where we're doing biology is the course is technically a biology course. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a, the name of the course is the methodology of science dash biology. I've never, ah, I've never, so never taught a course with a dash in it before. <laughs> So they get the they get the name for the transcript. Right, so. and we do. One of the again, one I I insist with people that philosophy is thinking clearly about life so that you can live it well. Yes, right. Uh -huh. And so in the where the topic of our course is biology and how statistics is used in biology to do biology scientifically as opposed to artistically, which is a great way to do biology to think you know to draw animals and think about beauty and stuff like that. But we're talking, one of our roles to fill is to teach the kids biology and stats. But mm -hmm. when you put philosophy PhDs in charge of a course like that, 
and make it the first in a sequence of deeper and deeper philosophical explorations, what you end up doing is um, not only learning biology, but learning about the ways in which doing biology depends on your worldview. So if you study, uh, if you study a, a colony of bacteria, should you think of that as a single thing? Or should you think of that as a bunch of individual things, individual bacteria who interact with each other? <clears throat> or when you talk about um, population control, when it's it's deer hunting season, uh, yeah, yeah, um, you're right. <clears throat> do, do you think of the deer as individuals or do you think of them as a group? And then how can you use mathematics to, to explore those kind of things? And then what implications does that have for how we think of each other as human beings? So we're homeschoolers. Is there something about homeschoolers that makes them different from public schoolers? Should we be thinking about people in general terms like that, or shouldn't we be thinking of them as individuals with their own desires and goals and whatnot? So it raises a lot of philosophical questions, even though technically what you're doing is learning about the way biological research happens. Yeah, and then getting some thinking skills for life. So, right. well, that that makes me shameless plug, move us over to um, how homeschoolers can access teaching their kids to think philosophically or drawing that out of them. And so one of the, the gifts that you've given the homeschool community is to write a textbook for teens that um, when we've done the, the book in our local area, the kids, some of them are saying that's their favorite course because they just like it comes alive when they realize that they are thinking beings and have um, some choice in who they are and where they're going and what the world is like. Right. So so it's it's called Philosophy in Four Questions. So would you mind kind of talking a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, the, I, I loved writing that book. <clears throat> it was so much fun. Uh, and I hope that students have fun going through it. Um, it's, it, it's philosophy in four questions. It, it, philosophy is the practice of thinking clearly about life so you can live it well. So it's about clear thinking about thinking critically, thinking rationally, um, so that you're not making mistakes mentally that lead you to mistakes in the way that you live. Um, but one of the ways in which philosophers think clearly about the world is we try to ask good questions. And uh, in my way of understanding philosophy, there are four general types of questions. There's questions about what even exists. There's mm -hmm. questions about how we know what exists. There's questions about what we should do about the things that exist and what we do and don't know. And then there's questions about why we should be doing what we should be doing. So that's four mm -hmm. questions. What is there? How do we know? What should we do about it? And why? And when you think about philosophy under those four headings, you find that a lot of the classical um, uh, issues and thinkers that came up in the history of philosophy and in current debates fit rather nicely and I think are, I don't know, I find it helpful to organize them in that way. It gives you a progression um, to go through and explore a lot of really interesting, fun, and important issues um, across yeah. the philosophical spectrum. 
Yeah, the, the, it's been so accessible for the, the teens, like it's uh, text that they can work through themselves and, uh, and they can discuss it with parents also. It's uh, delightful to do in co-op, um, but it's, it's just so good to see the light bulbs turn on and, you know, teens learn the, the power that God gave their brains yeah. to, to question and understand. Right. And uh, I think one of the, if I were a parent, I would be, I would be a little apprehensive about my students taking philosophy. Uh, <laughs> just because par- teens are, I remember being a teenager, Te- yeah. teenagers are, are willing to ask questions and to uh, say things that make other people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, that we would rather not have to deal with during a family dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I might be afraid that by having my teen study philosophy, that they would end up with even more annoying questions that <laughs> I didn't have answers to as a parent. Um, uh, but what I try to do in the, in the four, uh, philosophy and four questions in the textbook is to show not only uh, that we have a we have a kind of obligation um, as people, um, as human mm-hmm. beings, um, and if you're a Christian, as a Christian, to use your mind well. Um, we've been given we've been given bodies and minds, and we need to use them both well. We have to take care of them <clears throat> and use the talents that God has given us, and that means we have to make sure that we're thinking well in addition to eating well and sleeping well and that kind of thing. And if we don't explore the philosophical questions and think about the ways in which we ought to be thinking, um, then we're, uh, we're, we're like a kid being sent out into the world with, you know, without their jacket in the middle of winter, right? We don't have the, we, we don't have the proper, don't have the proper protections. We don't understand the ways in which other people can manipulate us with how they, do their politics or their religion or whatever. And so it's good to be able to have a kind of uh, um, a safe space uh, in the mm-hmm. space of a textbook that's aimed at teenagers, uh, hopefully understands what teenagers are interested in, um, but also takes into account um, uh, religious questions and interactions between teens and parents so that hopefully you end up with good conversations. And so hopefully mm-hmm. everybody is able to have more meaningful and understanding conversations as opposed to just having questions with no context for answering them or yeah. angst without um, any way of thinking through and processing the angst and making something yeah. productive out of it. Yeah, it gives an infrastructure for for teens to ask and explore the questions and and get the strength of mind that I think, in my opinion, these days, teens need more than ever because the world's full of fake news and all kinds of ridiculous stuff. And so they learn how to discern and, and think for themselves. So also another textbook at Seven Sisters Homeschool is the history and philosophy of the Western world that that I had started when you were in high school. But actually, somewhere along the line, I shanghaied you into uh, kind of giving some expertise in the different philosophers. So it's a very gentle introduction to 
philosopher, philosophers through time. So the different philosophers and the world that they lived in in each era. Right. So teens get their world history credit that they need for the transcript, but they're also getting that that introduction to thinking. It's a fun textbook. Yeah, that's 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 what got me started. So I mean, take you know, yeah. to, learning from the alpha or beta version of that textbook and then it was a lot of fun to get to work on uh on myself so um yeah so we we've, we've had fun on that yeah. together over the years yeah so all right so micah i probably need to wrap it up so could you tell people if they wanted to find out more about you um where they could find you sure yeah, so I have a website, micatillman.com, M-I-C-A-H-T-I-L-L-M-A-N.com. Um, if you go there, you'll see a big smiling picture of me looking all professional because I have a very good photographer friend who is able to make me look more professional than I actually am. <laughs> but you can also check out there. You'll see links to my writings and to my um, my educational video game projects and uh, to my podcast that I do. Uh, yeah, so micatillman.com is, I think, where you would find out the most about me. And then you can follow various links to I've got a Twitter account and all that kind of stuff if you want to see what I'm tweeting about in the rest of life. At, at your website, there's a, a free logic computer game. Right. That's really cute. And and that's still there, right? Yeah. That that young people can begin exploring logic also, which is also a philosophic kind of infrastructure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I taught I yeah. taught logic to college students and realized that most of them were miserable and I wanted to wanted to help them recognize that logic is like math. It's a series of puzzles. And if you approach it mm -hmm. as a series of puzzles in the with the attitude of I'm going to play a game here as opposed to a mm -hmm. series of problems that are just difficult and impossible to solve that you end up, I think, understanding things better and also uh, actually having more fun. And I'm currently working on uh, one of my ongoing projects is to translate that older version of the, of the game into a, a modern and even shinier format, but you can still access the original version, the classic version of the game at my website. Yeah. So that, it's a, another transcript credit that the kids could work on if they wanted to download that. And that's free and that's nice. Right. It has a lot, it has a textbook to go along with it. Nice. I forgot that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for taking time out to talk with us on the homeschool high school podcast, Micah. Oh, well, thanks for having me. So I'll put everything in the show notes so you can link over to uh, Micah's textbooks and his website and the things that he's got going on. And this has been the Homeschool High School Podcast brought to you by sevensistershomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. 